I am Planta on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Magenta is a new novel, the first, by uh, the writer John Peyton Foden, who joins me now. He takes the reader into war-torn Sarajevo as we see a journalist named Silva make her way through a city under siege in order to recover the body of a filmmaker she knew. The book is an exploration of good and evil and how the concepts evolve in a time of war. I'll ask Mr. Foden about what he mined in terms of his conception of hatred. We'll also uh, talk about uh, the time he writes about, how the media has uh, changed over the last 30 years, as well as the kinds of people that found themselves in this part of the world, not to mention people from countries like Canada who went there. Uh, John Peyton Foden is uh, a Toronto-based writer. He has worked as a consultant lobbyist with uh, a particular expertise in cities. His writing has appeared in the National Post and the Globe and Mail, and uh, he's provided commentary on the major broadcasting outlets in this country. The website for more is at presterjohn.ca. Magenta is published by Crow's Nest Books. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, John Foden. Mr. Foden, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Pretty good yourself. Excellent. Thank you. This is your first novel, I understand? Uh, It is the first published novel. I have uh, completed two others uh, that are looking for a home. I see. So the you, pandemic was a good writing time. I see, yeah, I'll bet, yeah. So you, you are a writer who, who, who's written a lot over the last 30 years or so, or more. Yeah. Um, the idea of writing a novel, what, what compelled you to, to say to take that on? And, and Because as I'm reading Magenta, um, as I was talking before we started, I'm enjoying it a great deal. And it's a, a, such a fun read at the same time as a, as a marvelous story and a compelling one and an engaging one and, and, and um, um, w- w- one that I'm, I'm reading with anticipation. Um, was the form of the novel something that you always wanted to, say, um, tackle or, or, or take on? Uh, yeah. it's uh, In my case, this is something I can't not do. Mm. Um, it's, uh, I, it feels like that's the way my brain is wired. That's the way my office is set up. So, uh, writing this novel, it was just a matter of, uh, I think, um, uh, belief that I knew enough to, uh, about the craft of novel writing, uh, to actually commit to this story. And, um, uh, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it wasn't a plan. It was, uh, it's a passion. It's a calling, I think. When you talk about the craft of, of, of the novel, I mean, that obviously comes from, from reading them over the years, even as a kid probably, right? Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's what, what people overlook. A lot of people want to be writers. I hear this all the time, especially from kids. But they don't read as they should. Yeah, I'm not sure that you can be a writer unless you read. And I, and not. I, I don't think you have to read novels to be a novelist. I right. think you have to read a lot. Yeah. Uh, this book is it's a novel form, uh, but there are you know a lot of real life political issues that it uh, that it tackles. The, the other thing about your novel that, that that's um, that makes it such an arresting reader uh, is because it, it's so visual. Even the way that you, you present the dialogue, it, it's almost like a script that I'm reading. And so my, my, my mind, at least, uh, unsophisticated as it is, sort of sort of um, sees it visually in my head. Um, it, it's such a, a fun way to read, I guess, if you will. And, and it, was it fun to write in that in that sense? 
It, it was, and it's a, it's a challenge. And the reason I set up the dialogue the way it does is because I hate the use of adverbs, <laughs> uh, and I hate the idea of telling people how other people are speaking. And, and so it, it, uh, I then have to be committed to making sure that the sentences are clear, uh, that the idea is, uh, is presented uh, in no uncertain terms, and there, you know who's speaking all the time. Right by what they said, mm-hmm. uh, so it's it's a challenge, but um, I find I prefer it as opposed to he said she said. I don't need you to tell me that he said or she said, and I don't need to t- you to tell me that they did so quickly or swiftly. The words should speak for themselves, uh, and uh, I'm actually quite proud of the way it worked out. Yeah, yeah, it's a great read in, in that sense as well. When we start the novel, what year is it? Uh, Nineteen ninety-two, and. Um, I, I turned 40 this year, and, and 1992 doesn't seem um, that far off, but, but if we think about it, that's 30 years now. Yeah. And um, the, the thing that I, as I'm reading the, the, the first part of the novel, um, the first quarter, if you will, um, I get the sense right away that it's a very different time and place. And um, a lot of people forget what the conflict in Sarajevo was about. I mean, we're at a point now where um, I think there is a lack of interest in conflict elsewhere in the world if it doesn't directly affect us. I mean, if you think about COVID, you know, we're all interconnected as we are, but but we're not really concerned about, say, other places that have to contend with the pandemic or or making sure that vaccines are available. Um, The time that you depict in the the novel is very different than... um, where we are now. Do you notice a difference? Uh, surely, and that actually is one of the main themes, is that because it was 30 years ago, because it's happening in some other place, uh, because people aren't reporting on it, we forget. Uh, and we forget just how horrific that civil war was, uh, because it's not uh, it's not served to us. Uh, you know, I think media has something to do with that, too, because we're, it's not served to us in the morning newspaper uh, anymore. And you can see how quickly... Uh, I think Sarajevo was a cosmopolitan city, as is Toronto, as is Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it can happen there, it can happen here. And I think we live in this fantasy world to think that uh, our democracy and government are strong enough to keep us away from the kind of hatred that prevails out there in some places. I mean, these were people who uh, believed in different religions. Uh, uh, you know, they were neighbors. They were neighbors fighting neighbors. So their families were split on, uh, on ethnic lines. And I think the capacity for violence and evil, um, uh, for me anyway, uh, just uh, seemed to be a frightening prospect. Uh, and I think we are closer to those conditions uh, than, we, uh, than we are inclined to believe. Uh, it didn't take much for that place to uh, escalate into uh, a hellhole, uh, despite all the signs, right? It had yeah. an Olympic. People have been, you know, Sarajevo's been a crossroads for, for generations through history, uh, you know, and, uh, and people, uh, you know, speak of it as a beautiful city uh, that, uh, you know, the neighbors loved each other. And yet this is what it spiraled into. Yeah. And, and um, you, you said a marvelous thing just a moment ago that, that um, I think bears exploration. Uh, when you talk about how the media uh, depicts conflict, especially the conflict in Sarajevo. Um, we meet a number of characters, Silva especially. You know, she's a newspaper reporter. Um, 
I got to the part um, where the reporter for television, I guess it was for, for um, it's from the BBC. Yeah, David Brock. We, we encounter him in the novel, and, and we, we see you know, even just how the, the media has changed over the last 30 years. I mean, that, that was fascinating to, to look back at. Um, it, it's fascinating to think about the media's role in shaping um, the memory of war. I mean, they're not just covering the war, but they're also influencing how we remember it and, and how we remember it 30 years hence. Yeah. It, 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 and you wonder where it's headed, uh, because uh, professional journalism kind of seems, um, to some folks, a little bit old-fashioned, uh, you know, with uh, new media. And I don't know if uh, there is ever going to be an influencer with the courage to step into a war zone and yeah. re- report responsibly on... What are really important issues, uh, you know, when people are um, behaving with such hatred and violence, uh, uh, it, uh, you know, th- there are things we as human beings have to accept and deal with. And one of the things I also try to do, so we've mentioned Sarajevo, mm-hmm. uh, but we don't mention the country that preceded it. And there are no mentions of, I don't take a side on the ethnic or religious lines. So you don't see uh, Bosnian Serbs or Croats are never mentioned once. Christians, Eastern Orthodox, and Muslims. I think I mentioned them once, the fact that, you know, these cultures existed in mm-hmm. the same place at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't talk about that. These, these, these are human beings interacting with each other in very um, uh, disturbing ways. And yeah. a lot of when I was writing, I got to a scene, and I know this is going to sound... Um, uh, what's it going to sound? I don't mean to trivialize uh, what happens to Silva because it matters to me. Uh, but I sometimes I thought, what's the worst thing that could happen to her today in this situation? And that's just a way of trying to uh, trying to access uh, some of our, our deeper fears. And you know, I'm asked myself if I were in this situation, what would I do? Yeah. And uh, you know, would I be prepared to kill someone? And there's a discussion there. Would you be prepared to defend yourself to kill an evil monster uh, if you had the opportunity? And it, they, Silva and Stefan talk about that at one point, and they're actually faced with the dilemma a little bit later. So there's a foreshadowing in conversation, and they have a choice to make. And you know, you have to ask yourself: Would I have the courage to stand, not just for what I believe, but to stand and defend my own existence? Uh, in the face of uh, somebody is uh, somebody who is much more profoundly evil than I am and highly vo- motivated uh, to end me. And uh, so Silva's up against those uh, obstacles uh, constantly throughout the book. And I think there are some, some interesting twists and some interesting decisions she makes uh, in, in trying to reconcile that. As a writer, John, what is it like when you investigate the, the, the theme of uh, hatred as you do in the book? Uh, when you're sitting at your writing desk, when you, I, I, I assume that you're using a computer or you could be using pen and paper. When you're, when you're confronted with a page and you're thinking about what to do in a situation like that that you just described, dealing with um, one's existence and, and contending with hatred, um, no matter how you feel on, on, on a variety of issues. Um, what is that like for you? I mean, I, I was describing the book as a fun read, but when you get to, to, to a part like that where it's, it's, um, it may not be a fun situation uh, that you're depicting, 
Um, is that, uh, I mean, I, I can just imagine what's going on in your head. Can you, can you let us in and, and see how the writer works at that moment? Yeah. Um, the, the moment, I think, when you come up against a, um, a scenario, uh, for this book, the theme was all about uh, our capacity for hatred, for violence, and kindness. Yeah. Uh, and at that moment, you have to kind of let all of the things that you think you know, um, you have to set them aside. Uh, and I asked myself two questions. What's the worst thing that could happen in this situation? And, and that's to sort of shock the reader, to get yeah. back to where we were before. The people forget about this. And, you know, if there's, there's been a couple books written recently about the, the likelihood of civil war in the United States, if and when that happens, it will look a lot like what's going on in this book. Mm. It's not going to be two massed armies facing each other. It's going to be very much human conflict, that one-on-one -on -one gangs, thugs, etc. And so, what, A, what's the worst thing that could happen, and then what would I do in this situation? And I think it requires that you be honest about, you know, the capacity to, um, to act on, um, uh, on whether it's hatred or kindness or, in some cases, the fact that you're there, in a number of situations is completely trapped. So how does she respond? And I think you have to be honest with yourself about... Um, about what that next step is, because you know you have you can't end her because she's the protagonist, mm -hmm. uh, and she she needs another scene. But it is um, there's a certain reality check, and I think it, this book is not something I could have written when I was 20. I think you know being a little bit older and, and more mature, and having faced I think a few trials and tribulations, uh, you you have to try to draw from that. You know what does uh, what does loss feel like? So, so writing is work. Uh, it's obviously work oh, for you in terms of a, as a job, but but it can be fun, though, right? Oh, it's and the most fun things uh, in this case, I I wrote the book based on what I thought I knew, and then went back and tested the narrative in different situations, and it was amazing to me the number of times that I actually placed something. Uh, and there is something like that exactly where I put it without knowing it ahead of time. For instance, the Europa Hotel, mm -hmm. uh, where she stays in Sarajevo, uh, there is actually a hotel called, I think it's called the Hotel Europe, in almost exactly where I put it. Uh, as I wrote, there's a scene that comes uh, just past the halfway point called the Monastery. And when I did my research going back to it, there is an actual monastery where I put it. And uh, I wrote the scene, um, uh, The Long Walk. Uh, and there was a town that was actually a black market, what, um, um, destination for goods and arms and all the rest, almost exactly where I put it. So, And so there is, for me anyway, there's a lot of joy that comes out of that process, that you're, you're, you're so committed to the narrative and you've, you've uh, you, you test yourself about, you know, how well it's written and how accurate is the research. The timeline, uh, I had a wonderful editor named Jane Warren, and um, she tested me on the timeline. Does all of this fit? And so I had to go back, and, I mean, it's work. Yeah. Uh, and then you realize, yeah, the timeline fits exactly, because she's there, she leaves, she comes back, and then these events uh, happen. But they, you know, to make the story work, they have to happen uh, in a in a time.
timeline that we knew um, is very precise 30 years ago. This is exciting to, to, to hear, John, as I, because, I, as I said, I'm enjoying the book a great deal. Let's talk about uh, Silva, the, the, the central character in, in the book. Um, I have to, before we even get into that, um, when you talk about her newspaper work, and even writing the obituaries, as she does, um, it, it's almost a lost art, isn't it? Yeah, and it's interesting where you pull these things from. I worked uh, many, many years ago on the Economic Summit when it was here in Toronto. Uh-huh. And uh, I worked with a guy who had met a reporter from one of the big, I think it might have been the Independent or the Guardian. And on his, in his spare time, that's what he did. He wrote obituaries so that when somebody out there died, he was ready with coffee immediately. Uh, and so that has lingered with me. I mean, that economic summit was 1988. And so I've sort of had that, that anecdote in the back of my head for that long and thought this is the perfect opportunity to use it. Uh, and so he, no, he was with the economist. And that's what he did. He wrote, uh, you know, when he wasn't reporting on things or writing articles, he was, uh, he was, uh, polishing up, um, uh, obituaries. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, we also see just just how um, newspapers have changed in thirty years as we're reading your book. Yeah, and it, it, change. In, yeah, it's it's almost r- romantic to see what it was like. Yeah, it was also um, the Civil War in the Balkans was also um, probably the first time that the number of female reporters mm. uh, I don't know if it outnumbered the men, but the numbers were comparable. That you had a sizable cohort of. Uh, of women who um, who were reporting uh, from uh, from Sarajevo uh, during this. Um, once the book was written, I I tried to go out and talk to folks who had been there. Turns out one of my neighbors was a cameraman for the CBC, and so he provided some insight. But I he introduced me to a woman named Corinne Dufka, who is a wonderful person, who was a photographer uh-huh. in Sarajevo at the time, and. Uh, um, so she gave the book a read. She gave me a, a dust jacket uh, blurb, uh-huh. uh, which was nice. Uh, but she was, you know, on the leading edge of, uh, of women reporting from war zones. Uh, so there's a big social change that's happened as well. That's the other fascinating thing as I'm reading the, the book it, is um, it, whether it's Silva or it's theory, um, understanding the sort of people that cover war. I mean, adrenaline obviously is a requirement, um, but... Um, it's something to think about um, in terms of, there's a great line in, 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 that ends one chapter in the book, where you're going to a place that you know could kill you. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I probably write the novel and would not have ever been a reporter in that circumstance just because there's a gun. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, a dangerous. Yeah. It was a dangerous place. Yeah. Uh, any war zone is, and for frontline journalists to have the courage to go into these places uh, and report what they see, it's and increasingly they're not. Um, they're not. They're you know the rules of war have changed as well, and so uh, they're clearly in this book. They're just thrown out the window. There are no rules that apply to the men uh, who are um, the antagonists in this story. Uh, but it takes tremendous courage, um, and I think there's a lot of adrenaline attached to it. I think a lot of machismo as well, um, and it's uh, it's probably a requirement for people to take the next step up in their career. 
Um, and, you know, the, the people depicted in this story are not fly-in, you know, news anchors. Yeah. They are, they are real, um, they're real working journalists. I was, uh, the Globe and Mail had a, uh, a series, uh, called, uh, um, what was it called? It was a symposium on, uh, on, uh, frontline photographers and the kind of psychological tests that they go through. Um, and the, the Globe, I think, was hosting it uh, with a, a, um, a professor at the University of Toronto named Anthony Feinstein, oh, yeah. um, who studies the impact of uh, frontline combat on um, journalists. And, you know, Corinne Dufka was there, and she is a brilliant, well-balanced, articulate, intelligent um, person who now works for, uh, I think, Human Rights Watch. Uh-huh. Uh, but some of the panelists uh, that the Globe had uh, in their symposium, you can see. They, they, I mean, the psychological damage is real mm. uh, for people who have, um, you know, because it's a lifestyle too, right? You're yeah. out there, you're in a danger zone. I imagine there's lots of drinking involved, and uh, and you're losing friends, um, and not just uh, other journalists, but um, the, the fix, the local fixers and interpreters play an important role in this as well. One of the triggers for this. Um, for the story, I was kind of—I wasn't blocked, but I was kind of having a, a, a difficulty in a transitional moment. And the, the answer came from Anthony's book. I was reading through some of the profiles that mm-hmm. he's done on some of these frontline reporters, and there was a story of a reporter whose um, whose local fixer was killed. And so his task was then to get that young man back home to Spain and repatriate his body. Um, it, you know, it was the trigger I needed. Uh, for um, for an event that happens probably I don't know, a third of the way through the story, uh, and so they, uh, I think it's a different world that they live. Uh, yeah. You know, being a journalist and reporting on the Super Bowl or the Olympics or you know city council meetings sure. is a whole lot different than the folks who, you know, strap on their their steel-toed shoes and and go into a war zone. So then, what is it like, John? To, to get the notices that you've been getting, I mean, I, I see, I've seen the quotes of the, that are on the back of the book. Um, when uh, you've really captured what it's like, even though this is not something that you would say venture out yourself doing. I, I mean, that's the thrill of doing this, isn't it? That um, you know, somebody who was there says not just a nice thing, but says you really have captured the experience. Um, that no, you know, for me, it just says it's a job well done. That was my job when I started this. It wasn't to write some sort of sensational piece. This was to give some proper reflection. Now there are there are a couple catches to that. Um, that you know, what happens in this story is is shocking. I think, um, and it has been pointed out that there were no documented cases of this ever having happened. Mm-hmm. But that's why it's a fictional piece, right? It's not a a memoir or a, or a, uh, um, a reiteration of some uh, actual event. Uh, that's the fun in fiction. But if you can invent a story like this and then have the people who were there say, I get it, I see it, what I experienced is very much like what's going on in this story. Um, you know, for me, that's um, it's a, a, an accolade, uh, and it tells me that it's a job well done, uh, which is an encouragement to continue doing it. Yeah, indeed. And, and, and one, as a reader, as a fan now, uh, one hopes will, you, you will continue. Um, 
John, throughout uh, the writing of this book, the sort of research that one has to do for, for this kind of uh, a, a book that's set where it is and when it's set, um, are you any closer to figuring out why people do bad things? Um, I expect it has some combination uh, of uh, the electrochemical impulses going on inside our head combined with... Um, the um, a dire and dangerous situation, how people respond. Um, and I think you see that in this book as you get later into the story, that there are cowards uh, and there are uh, people who are very courageous and, and determined, uh, and there are others who make broker no second thoughts about um, uh, ending someone else's life, and the justification being that it's a war, and if I don't kill you, you kill me. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I'm any closer to it. I don't think I'm quite that smart. Uh, you know, I think bigger brains have struggled with that um, and and not come any closer to an answer. Uh, I, I've given the answer the best way I can in, in the story, uh, but I, I, I think it is important to read this story uh, to be reminded about what is possible. And you see the, the factionalism and fragmentation of uh, society south of the border, people taking very, very strong and, and polarized views on uh, fundamental issues. And, uh, you know, you could very easily be in a very bad spot in no time at all. And that, that also applies in this country. I mean, we, we have a sort of smug attitude about what's happening elsewhere. Yeah, but um, th this week especially, I mean, um, you know, a, a lot of people are at their breaking point. Yeah, and the pandemic hasn't helped um, yeah. the, the, the stress that people are feeling. Um, it, it, yeah, and I think that smugness is part of it. You know, cause, uh, being smug like it won't happen, guess what? It does happen. Yeah. And, it's, you know, through history, the resolution of, uh, of these profound social issues that we deal with quite often is violence, um, in that, uh, you know, there is, uh, there is no guarantee that if you, um, if you are, uh, if the solution you seek uh, is, uh, is positive, mm -hmm. there's no guarantee that you win if violence is the mechanism for, uh, for the debate. John, I've, I've enjoyed chatting with you today. I, I can't tell you how much I'm enjoying the book. Um, uh, um, it's a great read. Congratulations and continued good luck with it. I appreciate your time today. Well, thank you very much, Joe. It was a pleasure to speak with you. The book is called Magenta. It's uh, published by Crow's Nest Books. The website for more, incidentally, is at PresterJohn.ca. John Peyton Foden, its author, joined me on the line from Toronto and Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta.